you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, be taking our text from this morning, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, Lord willing, here in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we'll go ahead and read our text. Here the Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word today. Thank you for those that are here in the church this morning. Lord, thank you for those listening online. Lord, we pray that, that you'll just do a work through us. Lord, keep us out of the way and not hinder your word. Lord, help us today, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is a little venture away from our study in Romans we've been doing for quite a while. We've still got a couple of chapters left, 15 and 16 in Romans. But this morning, I just want to give us a little bit of brief, uh, overview again of the book of Philippians and speak a little bit about some things that maybe we forget about. You know, we can read over things such as this, and we've studied this and studied it and studied it. Uh, we've had several uh, sermon series in this, and we've taught out of uh, Philippians a lot. But it, it never hurts for us to go back and refresh ourselves and re remember uh, why some of these things are in the Bible and, and what the good is from them. And today we're looking at these things of Paul's, and uh, Paul uh, is is speaking to the church that I believe he loved more than any of the other the churches that he helped establish. Uh, I mean, that's that may be pushing a little bit, but it seems he treats this church a little different than the rest of them. And so many of Paul's letters to the churches consisted of a lot of doctrine, a lot of formal instructions. But this letter to the Philippians is a lot different. It's more uh, centered on grace and love and uh, his longing to be with them, and how he longs for the Lord to help the church and, and to keep them. Uh, he says there in the last verse there that you may approve things that are excellent. He wants the very best for this church. And so it's kind of like a dear friend or even a father speaking to those that he loves, pouring his heart out. You could call it Paul's love letter. Of any of the letters Paul wrote, you could call this a love letter. And so all the churches Paul wrote to, it seemed he, he did prefer this church the most. He was very affectionate toward them. Some of the things that he says in, in Philippians, he does not say to other churches. Some of the uh, terms and words that he uses and his expressions of uh, his emotions and feelings and joy and things like that, it comes out in this. And you have to remember, Paul, at the present time of writing this, is in deplorable conditions. He's in prison, and he's writing this letter from prison. 
Uh, he started this this particular church, if you want to call it a church, uh, the Church of Philippi. That would what that means is all the people that were become believers and congregated together. They didn't necessarily have a building like we do, or uh, we we meet in our home, and so they didn't necessarily have a big building or anything. But they met where they could meet. When Paul first arrived there in Philippi, they didn't. There were hardly any Jews, and so there was no synagogues to meet in. And uh, they met wherever they could. The first meeting Paul had there in Philippi was on the banks of the river. <laughs> and so, um, if you remember when Paul started this church, this was actually on his second missionary journey, and he was praying for the Lord to direct him on where to go, where he wanted to go next. And, of course, Paul had ideas and visions of where he wanted to go. Ultimately, he wanted to go to Rome, and uh, he wanted to spread the gospel all over the world, but uh, he was waiting on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he's in Macedonia, or he's, he gets a vision from a man from Macedonia. Remember that? He says, come help us. And so Paul, in this vision, he follows the Holy Spirit and goes to Macedonia, which is in Philippi. And uh, he even mentions in his letters to the, the Philippians that he's really not willing to receive financial help from other churches that he deals with. But from them, he did accept their financial um, donations and offerings. And that's a good thing to do. They should have done that. Uh, all churches should. And I'm sure there were many that offered, but Paul would refuse. Uh, but uh, from this church, he felt that uh, he was willing to accept their uh, their financial help. And, of course, he had a great affection. He trusted these people. And so he accepted help from them several times. Now, this entire letter, the theme of it, of course, is joy. Joy. Paul mentions that uh, so many times. I believe 11 times he uses the word rejoice and six times the word joy. And so that is why we call the book of Philippians the book of joy. Uh, look, look back at our first verse there in Philippians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Now, in Paul's day, it was normal for a person to begin a letter this way. This is opposite the way we do it. Uh, we don't start out saying, hi, this is Byron, or hi, this is Mary, you know. No, we, we say, hi, you know, so-and-so, and then we sign our name then. Well, here Paul gives his name, and of course, Timotheus, Timotheus, or Timothy, as he's mostly called, he didn't write the letter. He's there with Paul, though, visiting Paul while he's in prison. Uh, so, um, one unique trait of Paul's letters to the churches is for him to usually introduce himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ. That's how he normally does. Um, and it's, it's amazing to think a man who wants to denounce Christ and wanted to rid the world of Christians uh, wants to make sure that everybody knows that's the man he works for now. He's an apostle for Christ. Now listen to some of these openings of other books of the Bible that he, he does. Romans 1 and 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God. The church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sophonies, our brother. 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, 
Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.1 Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. So in most of Paul's letters to churches, he, the very first opening, he says, I'm an apostle. Do you notice he doesn't say that in this letter to the Philippians? He says he's a servant. He doesn't say he's an apostle. All these other letters he does. And so it's very different. Um, see, many of the Philippians were or had been slaves. And so they were very familiar with a servant uh, relationship with a master. What Paul's trying to do here is relate to them, I'm also a servant. I'm a slave. And, but he says he is a servant of Jesus Christ. So in other words, he's in bondage to Christ. He wants them to know that. He's being obedient to his master, Jesus Christ. Now, you may recall that it was Paul who wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And of the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might be all by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. You see, Paul had such a zeal and desire and drive to win souls to Christ that uh, he, he would become all things to all men. That doesn't mean that he tried to replicate everything that they did, but he would entwine himself with the local culture, the local people. He would be down on their level. He says, I, I, you know, I'm going to be part of you in hopes that I can tell you about Jesus and you'll, you'll get saved. And so he says here in our opening text, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So Paul addresses the members of the church at Philippi as saints, which the Bible addresses all those who've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as saints. Do you feel like a saint today? You see, we have a different idea of what a saint is. Now, the Roman Catholics, of course, have their saints. <laughs> they, and they actually have people who think they can become a saint by doing a certain thing or, or whatever. Uh, but uh, the Bible teaches that we are all saints if we believe in the Lord Jesus. Um, so they're only saints because of their belief in Christ. And Paul uses this term as a, as a description of a Christian. Um, and if you're saved, you too are a saint. He says, which are at Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi was named after Philip uh, II of Macedon. Uh, a lot of these these uh, cities were named after men like that. These were either great leaders, uh, they led armies, uh, or they was like in Philip's case, a son of a great man. And of course, Philip being one as well, he was uh, um, Alexander the Great's uh, father. And so this is a long line of what the world considers great men. That's who the city's named after. 
and the population was made up mostly of Romans, Macedonians, and Grecians. Very few Jews there. Like I said in the beginning, there was no synagogues when Paul arrived there in Philippi. And that's where they were worshiping on the side of the river. And maybe you remember Paul's first convert over there. It was a lady. And she was a seller of purple. Her name was Lydia. And so that's where they, they met her. And they led her to Christ there on the banks of the river in Philippi. Um, now, I believe from reading from the scripture that Paul's heart was here in Philippi. I believe he considered it home. Now, I know, uh, you know, he, he was uh, um, actually from Antioch, uh, uh, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. I know he's originally from there, but I believe that Paul felt at home when he thought about Philippi. It's like us. When, we th when we're away from here where we live, we know we have a home, and that's where our heart is. Uh, when we were living over in the church parsonage at the, our uh, previous church, it never felt like home. It was just a place to stay. It was a house to live in. And we always longed to come back home. And uh, that's just, I mean, we put so much work, sweat and tears and and the money and, and everything. We've raised our children and, and all these things here in our house. And so it's, it's home to us. Um, Paul refers to them in chapter 4 verse 1 as his joy and crown. And so we can see from things like that, these terms of endearment, how much he loved it and uh, it became home. Yesterday, me and uh, my son, we worked on this house, um, having to do some things to the, the roof and the gutter to keep water from leaking into the, into the foundation and things. And it's because we love it. It's our home. We want to take care of it. Well, Paul was the same way with, with uh, the people at Philippi. He felt the same way, just a, a drawing. And he mentions there that with the bishops and deacons. And so he addresses particularly the, the officers of the church, bishops and deacons. Uh, and that's also unique to the book of, of Philippians. We don't see him doing that in his other letters. It's just to the people at, the, at wherever he's writing to. And so Paul wanted to express his appreciation to the leadership of that church. He knows it takes great leadership to keep a church in order. Uh, if you have a church with no leadership, it falls into chaos. You've got some people that, that think the church ought to do this, and this side thinks it ought to do that, and you ain't got nobody in charge. And so before you know it, people just start leaving, and you're down to nobody because there's no, no leadership. And so God appoints men to be over churches, the overseers, bishops, deacons. These are necessary. That word bishop means overseer. That's what it means. And so these are the ministers that have responsibility of watching over the flock and really their main focus is spiritual. Um, the spiritual condition of the church is the bishops. These deacons, that means servants is what a deacon is. And so deacons are appointed at, in a church to oversee really the physical needs of the church, not necessarily the spiritual, although they're supposed to be spiritual men and apt to teach and be able to get up uh, in place when the pastor's out. A deacon ought to be able to get up and, and give a Bible lesson. There's no reason why they shouldn't. But their main focus is the physical needs of the church and the flock and uh, to make sure that everything's running smoothly. And so Paul, he wants to recognize these men. 
Now, back in verse 2, back in our Philippians 1, he says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Uh, Paul greets readers with grace and peace a lot. Paul likes to use that word grace a lot. <laughs> and uh, it's a combination of, of Greek and Oriental salutations. It's a uh, it's kind of a spiritualized form of it. Grace expresses God's love to man, God's unmerited favor to man, here in this case. And peace is the condition that results from grace that God gives us. Because of God's grace, we can be saved, and because we are saved, then we have peace. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're always living in a peaceful place or everything around you is peaceful. No, you have peace. You're no longer at war with God. And so you have that peace in Christ. Uh, that word grace right there, it has a long history, and it was used way before the New Testament ever used it. Uh, it, it has different meanings. At first it meant charm and gracefulness and pleasantness and attractiveness and, and different things like that. And it also meant goodwill, loving kindness, favor, and all this. But really it's, it's the way to express God's characteristic, his, his attitude toward man. You know, the Bible says that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The reason he did that is because he bestowed his grace upon us. Now, grace in um, you know, simple terms means unmerited favor. So it's not anything you've done to earn grace. Uh, you don't deserve grace. Uh, there's, you know, it's unmerited. So God bestows it on you. And Paul uses the word grace more than any other writer in the Bible. That, that's probably no shock to you. Over a hundred times he uses it in his letters to the churches. He wants his readers to understand God's grace. And if anybody understood God's grace, it was Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he had firsthand knowledge. And that's why that most people uh, refer to Paul as the apostle of grace. John is the apostle of love. Paul, the apostle of grace. And so uh, th that word peace right there, it means a quietness or rest. It, but like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean the absence of conflict or trouble. It just means that we have, by God's grace, we are given peace in Christ. And there cannot be any true peace outside of Christ, by the way. People that are not saved cannot ever experience or know true peace. Because they're always an enmity with God. It means they're his enemy. And it's a struggle for those that are unsaved. And so here, if you notice, Paul expressly mentions God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure that everybody knows that this is, this is God. I mean, it's all about him through the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't come from other sources like the world, uh, man's books. Uh, some theologian, uh, even your own wishes and desires, it don't come from you. You're not going to get peace that way. And so Paul connects God the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord being kurios. It, it's the title which is used of God actually in the Old Testament. And it means the supreme one. And then there's Jesus, Jesus. He's, it's the human name of, of our Lord and Savior. Uh, over in Matthew 1 and 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So that's, that's what it is. He's the Savior, is, is what Jesus is. 
And of course, Christ being his title, the Christos, the Messiah, also known as, usually in the Old Testament, it's his official title. Uh, that's not his, his name, it's his title. All right, now look at verse 3, Philippians 1 and 3. Paul goes on to write, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Uh, you know, we've already been talking about uh, Paul's great love for this church, and every time he thinks about them, <laughs> he loves it. He, he thanks the Lord for them. Um, every remembrance of them. He didn't say some remembrance. Hey, some people, every time I remember them, I get mad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's some people, when I think about them, I have great joy for them and uh, great, great memories. But this is not just a one-shot deal that he prayed for them one time and then, you know, wrote a letter and said, hey, thinking about you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like those people, you know, uh, that request prayer on Facebook and like 50 people say praying for you. I wonder how many I actually prayed. You know, it's become a cliche these days. You know, praying for you, sure you are. <laughs> sure you are. And so this is a great testimony of this church at Philippi that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest witnesses for Christ, one of the greatest preachers of, of all human history, thinks of them in this way and remembers them. He says, upon every remembrance of them, he thanks God. <laughs> and he thinks about them a lot, too. And can you imagine somebody thinking about you that way? Isn't it nice to know that somebody's thinking about you and, and appreciating you? Well, that's the way Paul feels about this church. Now, verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. Every prayer, Paul says. Always. He's uh, making requests with joy. And so... You know, this is also a common way of opening a letter, uh, giving such a greeting uh, by thanking people and, and telling them what you feel about them. Uh, that was common. Uh, if you look at Galatians, it's very different than, than what it is in Philippi. He didn't have a lot of good things to say about those folks over there. Uh, they, were, they had fallen into apostasy, and uh, he wanted to know who had bewitched them, you know. Uh, but here, this... Uh, Always in every prayer of mine for y'all making requests with joy. And y'all remember that song, uh, I've got joy, 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 joy down in my heart. That's the way Paul felt about this church. Look at verse 5. He says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul didn't start out on a rocky road with this church. He says, on, from the first day I felt this way about you guys. Such joy and fellowship. That word fellowship right there, it means having things in common. Sharing communion together. Uh, we used to go to church that wanted to have fellowship suppers every, every month. And it, it got old. It was a forced fellowship. It wasn't, it wasn't one that you, you really wanted to go. You know, it, you can have too much of a good thing sometimes. And so it turned into, uh, you know, a few people coming and and then uh, bringing a, a, a pack of lunch meat and throwing it on the table. And it just wasn't the same. And so, but fellowship, this church has great fellowship. They have things in common. They're sharing communion together. And we can only have true fellowship with other believers, and it can only be through Christ. You can be friends with people that are not saved, sure, 
you, you're going to work with them, be friendly with them, but you'll never, ever have true fellowship with a lost person. You can't. The, the, you just It's like oil and water. If you go in there and get some water and pour oil in, the oil's going to puddle up and float on the top. It's not going to mix in. You can't mix it up, and it, it'll, it'll eventually come back together because the two don't mix. That's the lost and the saved. You don't have fellowship together. Uh, one of the greatest examples in that early church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That first century, century church was, was wonderful. Now, it had its problems. Don't get me wrong. There were things that went wrong there. Ananias and Sapphira may remember them. Uh, but uh, listen, uh, we should have all things in common as, as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We should share this fellowship. Uh, he says, from the first day until now. So meaning they've never strayed from the truth like the Galatians did. They didn't do that. But they have held fast to the truth of the gospel, and he enjoys complete and mutual fellowship with them through through Jesus Christ. Uh when, like I was talking about, when he met Lydia there, the seller of purple, it says in Acts sixteen fifteen, and when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there, and she constrained us. So she was showing Christian fellowship immediately upon being saved and, and knowing these men. She she didn't know them from anybody. She'd never met them before. But once she was saved, they had a a a a, um, a fellowship together, a communion, uh, something that was the same, and so she constrained them. That means she begged them to stay with her, and so it's a great sign of hospitality. Uh, so Paul's first experience with the people in Philippi was wonderful from the very get go, from the first day until now, unto now, or until now, and so Paul shares a common fellowship with this church. And let me give you seven things right quickly that they shared the same in. First was their accepting of the gospel in through faith. They shared that together. They shared identifying with the same aims of the gospel. They understood that once they become saved, their aim now was to share the gospel with the world. They shared an active witness in Philippi. This church wasn't just people that sat on the bench and didn't do anything. No, they, they, they were busy. They were working the community, sharing the gospel, getting together. They shared cooperation in preaching and teaching the gospel. These men, this, fellow, this uh, leadership that Paul addressed, these men were busy. They wasn't hiding on the back pew somewhere ready to dart out the door. No, they were, <laughs> they were busy. Um, they, they participated in suffering together. Here Paul is suffering in prison. Their heart is going out to him. They're wanting to, to get care packages and, and send him money and things, and he does accept it from them. And so they have this uh, in common fellowship. Their expressions for sympathy for Paul and his work. Uh, they they love Paul, and they made sure that he was taken care of. And, of course, they shared together their Christian needs. Paul writes in Romans 15 and 26, For it has pleased them of Macedonia and of Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. So this church, Macedonia, is, is part of Philippi. And so he tells the Romans, he says, those guys out there, they their heart was they wanted to help those that were 
uh, poor saints. And so it's always good when you meet other Christians that share the same um, thoughts that you have, the same uh, feelings you have of wanting to share the gospel. Uh, We should have that. Like-minded people. You immediately get a sense of oneness with them. And you can tell those that, that, that have the same mind as you. There's nothing worse, though, than, than to be around people that are not like-minded. And they think differently. They believe differently. They, and it, it just doesn't work. You butt heads all the time. Uh, there's no spirit about them. And so you can't commune together. All right, look back at verse 6, Philippians 1 and 6. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, there's one thing Paul had, and it was confidence. Uh, This man was a very confident man. He had confidence in the grace of the Lord Jesus. He had confidence in his salvation. He never doubted. He had confidence in his fellow helpers. Of course, we know Demas forsook him. Uh, but he still had confidence in everyone that, that worked with him and for him and, and uh, uh, helped. So Paul was very confident in his stand in the gospel. Uh, here he says he's confident that the Lord will continue using this church for good works until the end. Uh, it'd be nice to have somebody that has such confidence in your ministry. You know? And it, it, sometimes it's difficult to have such confidence in some man's ministry. Uh, but it's good to know Paul has this confidence and to know they're going to stay with the truth of the gospel, not stray from it, not get into uh, teaching the world's methods and means, but they'll always preach the gospel of of Jesus Christ. Now, there's few places and people that you can depend upon to always do that. I've seen a lot of good churches that have fallen, fallen hard because they've allowed some man to come in and start teaching things contrary to the truth. Teaching the world's methods and means, bringing the world's music, the world's books, the world's Bibles. <laughs> that sounds silly, doesn't it? The world's Bibles. That's anything but a King James. <laughs> and so uh, there, there's so many churches that have allowed that to happen, and we've seen good churches crumble and fall. And... Really, it boils down to some man wanting to boost his ego, uh, wanting people to look up to him to set up on a pedestal. And so they will do whatever they think they need to do to draw in a crowd. That's all they care about, getting a crowd. That's it. And the the truth is they're standing on sinking sand. Um, And, you know, you can teach and preach things that people want to hear and they'll come and they'll fill up pews if you're telling them what they want to hear, if you're scratching their itching ears. Uh, sadly, I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> uh, I make a lot of people uncomfortable because I'm not going to hold back. If the Bible says you're going to go to hell because of this or that, I'm going to tell you that. People don't like that. The Bible says uh, being a sodomite is a sin. I'm going to tell people that. I don't care if you're the biggest flaming sodomite in in the in the county i'm gonna tell you about it and so uh you know we can't compromise or back away from the truth of the gospel of the bible the truth of the bible i am much more concerned about what the lord thinks about my preaching than i am anybody that ever listens to me 
And so that is one thing that motivates me. Over in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. I don't want to stand there and receive the things which were bad. <laughs> I want those good things. I don't want to have to bow before the Lord one day and have to answer and be ashamed. Well, Lord, you know, I wanted, I tried to get more people in the church, so we started using the NIV. <laughs> Can you imagine having to stand there and, and tell the Lord that? Well, Lord, you know, those kids, they really like that rock and roll music, so we just brought in a rock group, and, you know, it, it, it kept the kids here. They're going to have to answer for that. All right, verse 7, Philippians 1 and 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. This word he uses, meet, he means fit, suitable, proper, uh, qualified, convenient, accepted, used as a purpose. In other words, it's the proper and right thing for him to have them in his heart. He says, even as meet for me to think this of you all, it's the right thing. He also mentions their support in his bonds and in, in his defense. And confirmation of the gospel. They stood by Paul regardless that he got arrested. Well, how many how many churches gonna do that? What if, what if your preacher gets arrested? You gonna you gonna stand up for him? Say, hey, he's a good man. He don't deserve this. I'll go to prison with him. No, most people's gonna duck and run. I knew there was something wrong with that guy. <laughs> um, but even in bonds, they confirmed their love for Paul. Hardships. They would support this man. And uh, even though the Jews looked down upon him and them, they stood firmly with the truth to defend the gospel. And so Paul's telling them his love for them, but he's saying it's not because of him this love is present, but it's because of God's grace. It's only by God's grace that I love you. Because remember, Saul of Tarsus, as he was mostly known by in, before he got saved, uh, he hated the church. He hated anybody that had anything to do with the church. But now he says, I love you, but it's not because of me. It's because of Christ. It's because of the Lord. He loves them. He says they were partakers of his grace. That means they shared a common bond with him. They were in the same spirit and unity no matter what the cost. All right, look at verse 8. He says, for God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So Paul now is expressing his great love for those uh, at the church of Philippi. That word record right there, it, it, it means, it's where we get the word martyr from, actually. And it means a witness. So Paul is saying that God himself is a witness to how much he longs for this church. If you long for a church that much, you're willing to say that God knows my heart. He knows I love you. Whether anybody believes it or stands up or not, God knows it. It's on his record. He's a witness to it. And he says that about the bowels. Now, this ain't the bowels we think of and have to take Pepto-Bismol for. Uh, it's from a, a, another word. It's from a Greek word. It's called splangton or splangnon. And it means spleen is what it means. And so when it's talking about bowels, it's not necessarily meaning down here in your guts. It's more of this upper area, your spleens and uppers. My dad had to have his spleen removed one time because he hit a wire while mowing and it went in his spleen and he had to have it removed. But it's up around the heart area 
uh, up in the upper part of your body. And so this is really what, what it's referring to is the region of your heart and your lungs, your inner being. It's, it's the seat of emotion is, is what it boils down to. And that's where you get your sympathy, your, your affection, your compassion. Uh, it comes from your, your heart. And so it, it, it's talking about a tenderness, tenderness and love of the Redeemer. And, you know, it probably means that Paul regarded them with something of an affection which the Lord Jesus had for them, the same type of, of uh, affection. And so this is one of the most tender um, showings of affection of anybody in the Bible toward a church, except for the Lord Jesus. Now, I imagine we probably wouldn't want to use that line today about, uh, I love you, you know, my bowels are longing for you. Like it'd probably get mis misunderstood. All right, look at verse 9. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now, Paul uses the word love here. In this instance, it's, it's that agape love, that God love. Is what it is. It's it's a divine type of love. It's not this meaningless love that people throw out. Love you, you don't love me. Yeah. Love you, wash my truck. Don't love you that much. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if this is a real um, godly type of love, divine, and it's a love because people need love, or they're even though they're not lovable at times. If you share that bond in Christ, we can love people. And it's the same with God's love for us. We don't deserve it, and we aren't lovable people most of the time. Romans 5 and 8 said, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he's trying to express how he's praying of this church in Philippi that they will grow not only in love, that their love may abound, but they will actually increase in knowledge and judgment, in all judgment, he says. And uh, so that's that's something a church needs. A church needs to grow in knowledge. There's some churches that's had pastors in them that has not ever taught the Bible. They get up and they do one of those huff and puff and I'll blow your house down sermons. And people stand there and, oh, amen. And they don't know a thing that guy said except he turned red, he spit, he hacked, he hollered and went on and, and stomped and, and ran and jumped, climbed benches and all that. And that's all they know. They've never been taught the word of God. You can ask them about doctrine, theology, the things of the Bible. They don't have a clue. But boy, that preacher sure ripped the paint off the walls. Sure he did. But church needs to grow in knowledge and in judgment. If you don't have a teaching pastor, you don't grow in knowledge. You, you stay a little babe in Christ. You're still on the milk. Never get on the meat. Um, our former church, when I when I took over, those people come to me and said, I have never, I've been going to this church 35 years. I've never heard anybody explain that. Really, it's just Bible doctrine. It's in there. <laughs> okay, look at verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That word approve right there has a meaning behind it of putting something to trial or test, to be approved. Uh, it's much like the way we would test metals 
for pureness. You know what they do with gold. They melt it down, burn off the dross, and all that's left is the pure gold, the, the real stuff. And uh, that's, that's what it is. You're testing for impurities. And so the church has to be purified, cleansed, spotless. That's the way the Lord is preparing the church to be a bride adorned for her husband, spot, uh, spotless, without blemish. And so Paul wishes that for them. And so he wanted to test them, or wanted them to be tested, whether things be good or bad. Not only to get the bad out, but to distinguish between what's good and what's best. And that, that's what you need to do. There's some things that's good, but there's other things that's best. You can do good things, but you should do the best thing. And the only way you can do that is if you test it and try it and know. Uh, the other day we bought a watermelon. We hadn't cut it yet. I have no idea if that thing is good or not. You can't tell. People say, oh, yeah, you can look at this and do that and, and thump it here and do this and all that. No. I've tried all those things, and you never know. Until you cut that thing open, it, you may cut it open. It's going to be nasty. It's not going to be sweet. It may be green. It may be rotten. It may be horrible. Or you may cut it open, and it be the best thing you've ever put in your mouth. And I'm hoping that's what this one is like. We'll find out in a little while. Uh, but you can't tell just by looking at a melon sitting in a big old carton of those things. That's the way they do in the store now. They pile them up in a big thing in the middle of the floor, and you grab the one you think is going to be good. Well, Paul wanted them to test things and prove them so they could distinguish between those which were good and those which were excellent, or between those that are bad and those that are excellent. And so he simply wanted them to live a pure clean life, holy lives, acceptable to Christ. Uh, over in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of something similar. He says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. He said, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, what this is telling us, we will stand before the Lord and be tried and judged by our works. Those things that we did with a pure heart, we did it really for the Lord because we love the Lord. Uh, those things will be tried and they'll be found gold. They'll be found pure. We'll be rewarded for those things. But those things we did just to get, oh, he's so good. Those things you did to get people's attention, to show off, to, you know, uh, to boost your ego or, or your career or whatever it was, and you claim it's for the Lord. No, when you get before the Lord, that's going to be like that wood, hay, and stubble. These are dry things that are burned fast. We've got a burn pile behind the house. I could go back there probably right now because of all this heat, throw a match in it, <laughs> that thing will go up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. But 
listen, we need to make sure the things that we do for the Lord, we're doing it from sincere heart, not to be seen by man, but by God. And so I think it's good for us to go back like this today, look at like this opening of the book of Philippians and remember what it was for, what it's about. And uh, you never know, somebody may be needing help one day and say, do you understand? You know what in the world this is talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've studied that a lot. Let me tell you about it. Um, the problem is too many people are looking for something new all the time. They want to hear something they never heard before. And the Bible cautions us against that, uh, that mindset. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 says there is no new thing under the sun. So there's nothing I can tell you that has not been said before. It's nothing I can tell you that's new. Everything I can tell you is over 2,000 years old, by the way, because it's in the Bible. Can't tell you anything other than that. And so uh, we always need to be Bible uh, students. Above all things, a Christian ought to be a Bible student and know the Bible. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. I pray that it's been helpful. Lord, let us remember, God, the importance of studying the Word of God knowing what your Bible says, the doctrine, the theology, those things that, that we need to understand. And Lord, we know that you gave us your word so that we could know you better. Lord, help those that's listening today, those here in the church, those online. Lord, and uh, if there's anything we can do to help them, Lord, uh, you just you can work that out, Lord. Lord, let, let Porch Light Baptist Church be a shining light in this world of darkness, and may we be pleasing to you. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.